Well, good evening, everyone. This is the uh, Monday, March 4 meeting of the Astoria City Council. Call the meeting to order. And uh, roll call, Mr. Harrington. Ms. Herman? Here. Ms. Bronson? Here. Ms. Lewis? Here. Ms. Here. Here. Uh, the first item on tonight's meeting is a presentation by our local uh, historian, John Goodenberger. Uh, titled uh, Topics in Preservation, and this is uh, a, a uh, presentation, or at least a version of a presentation that um, Mr. Gutenberger gave to the Planning Commission. I think some of my colleagues may have attended, I wasn't at that meeting. And John also uh, gave this at the Lower Columbia Preservation Society, and it's just sort of to set a little context for a discussion at the end of tonight's meeting, which is a, an update uh, from Ms. Johnson on the current status of the Planning Commission's review of the urban core of the Riverfront Vision Plan. So, Ms. Goodenberg, uh, thanks for being here tonight. Thanks for all you have done over the years for the community and reminding us of our historic uh, heritage. So, over the next 30 or so minutes, uh, we're going to cover a very quick history of this urban uh, core area. Uh, we'll give you a little bit of context, visual context of the buildings that were there and are there. Uh, we'll do a little bit of uh, preservation philosophy, and then we'll talk about um, some design options uh, for uh, this location. So first, let's go back in time a little bit. Uh, back to 1971, when the Columbia Press printed an article saying, Save Our Waterfront. The city had hired a developer, or excuse me, had hired a planner to resolve Astoria's parking and traffic issues. And that meant uh, wiping out the north side, all the buildings on the north side of Marine Drive, many on the south side, making a wider street, creating parking lots, etc. And the uh, community wisely um, revolted against this uh, because Many cities across the country have been destroyed uh, through trying to accommodate parking. And in this case, it also was destroying our waterfront. And at the base of this article was a little ballot that you could fill out and drop off at some location and express your opinion about uh, the waterfront. And so this discussion in Astoria has been going on for at least 50 years about what we want our waterfront to be. Then in the early 80s, uh, in the, uh, well, let's go to the other side, a treasure still buried. The Daily Astorian ran a series of photos along the waterfront of industrial buildings, pilings, and derelict buildings. And it left it up for the viewer to decide if those things had value visually or uh, historically uh, within our community. Then in the middle, we have a waterfront condo work starts, and that was in the early 1980s when that large condominium was constructed. And once again, the community came together and discussed what do we want our, our waterfront to be like? How do we want it to look? And who do we want to occupy it? Is it going to be housing? Is it going to be hotels? Is it going to be industry? This was what really started uh, uh, that, con that conversation in, um, in real earnest. So along came um, a man by the name of uh, Petnari, and he was an incredible architect, and he proposed a civic pier down uh, between 11th 
and 12th on the waterfront. And it was this incredibly designed steel civic pier. And the community said, we get the fact that that's a great design, but that's not us. So the city then hired Robert Morassi, a Japanese landscape architect. And he approached our waterfront as if it was a Japanese garden or landscape. And the basic concept of that is, first of all, we have to have pedestrian access to the waterfront. Second of all, it was to maintain the working waterfront character because the people, the fisheries, the, the canneries, those kinds of industries were as much a part of the experience on that waterfront as the wooden trestles or the wooden pilings or the river itself. So it was, a it was a maintenance of that working waterfront. And then it was the concept to preserve the character through subtle changes. So a subtle change um, might be instead of this steel civic pier, it was this concept that he used to, you know, people should be attracted to the end of a pier as if there was like a candlelight at the end of the pier. And his example was the, what we now have as the 14th Street Pier down near the old ferry landing. There's just a little roof section. It's very subtle. He's not introducing new materials, new forms. It's just subtle and it calls you down. And that was his concept for um, the entire waterfront. So let's look at the historic context. I have a black line drawn around uh, the, what the proposed urban core area is. And this photograph is taken about 1945. And for the sake of argument, we're going to make the leap that the historic buildings that existed during the primary period of our fishing industry existed at, the at this time in 1945. We're going to go examine that a little bit more closely, and we're going to start at the west and work our way east. So what I did was I went to the library and I photographed our sandboard maps. Our sandboard maps are fantastic. You go about every 10 years and you can see the footprints of all the buildings in town, see how they change over time, and see how developments uh, grow and shrink. So there's the, the kind of the title page, again, that's showing us where we're going to walk. So again, we're starting on the uh, west end of that uh, piece. So here it is. Here's the map in 1940. And what I've done is, look for the black outline. That's the only building in this whole five block area that still exists today. All the 1940s context is gone. The, the, um, Tank farms are gone, the other historic uh, canneries are gone, the industrial buildings are gone. The only thing left is the bonded warehouse. Then we get to 7th to 11th Street. You see a little bit more context there. We have the Fisher Brothers building. We have the Bowie Beer <coughs> building, uh, the westernmost part. I'm guessing that they are the two buildings that are going to be uh, converted into, or at least one of them is going to be converted into a hotel eventually is from that period. Then we have the butcher shop down at the base, uh, at the bottom there, and the trans transfer center there. We also have um, Pier 11 and the Sanborn building, the big blue building. These maps show you how the buildings, the construction. So blue is concrete, um, red is masonry, and yellow is wood. Then we go a little bit farther east, and we see at the base uh, the Columbia Theater. 
um, we see where uh, the baked Alaska is, but a much smaller version today, and I'll show you in just a second. Uh, where Andrew and Steve's is, and the medical center, our medical um, supply store. Then the um, uh, River Pilots buildings, the three uh, buildings that have uh, Frit and Scoop uh, uh, in it, and, uh, and other things. And then there's just one little tiny ferry uh, building there, which now has, um, I think Dr. Lenasaur is in that building. And then we go down to the end, and there's nothing from that point. We have that uh, blue building there, which is uh, the record uh, store. But that's just outside our boundaries. So let's go back now. And first, we're going to learn um, a, a little bit of context, a little bit of uh, uh, a, uh, uh, some vocabulary. So when I say vernacular, a vernacular building is designed without an attempt to mimic a current fashion. It may be constructed by non-professional builders. It's relatively simple in design, and its design follows ethnic or family tradition. So in other words, you are not going to find things like Corinthian columns on them. You're not going to find knee braces. You're not going to find uh, all these kinds of things that we generally associate with style. They're simple, and in part, for me, anyway, when I look at the vernacular buildings of Uniontown or of Uppertown, I see the beauty in those houses because they're vernacular, and that simplicity almost makes them timeless. And here we have these purpose-built buildings constructed out over the water or just inside, uh, and they are vernacular. So we're going to start again on the west end and work our way to the east and look at buildings that are both there today and buildings that have been there uh, historically. So that yellow arrow points to the bonded warehouse. We were just standing next to it, and the Anderson cannery is wrapping around it. Um, and so as we start to look at these buildings, uh, we see that these buildings, these canneries, are built in clusters. They're like farm clusters. Every building has a reason for its existence, and every location is very specific to that industry. It, may, it seems like an obvious statement, but these buildings are either perpendicular to the water's edge or they are parallel to the water edge. If you were suddenly to throw something in diagonal, it would stand out. Um, they are uh, either perpendicular or uh, per, uh, parallel to the water, water's edge because of maybe it's the way that these buildings are loaded or unloaded into ships or into railroads. Um, it may be simply the shape <coughs> of the lot itself, or maybe it has to do with how um, far out those buildings need to go so that boats can easily um, approach them. So this is in the 1940s again. So here we're now in the 1970s looking at the bonded warehouse, and that's the Anderson Cannery uh, kind of wrapping around it. You can see um, that what was called a monitor roof on the, on the Anderson Cannery, the red building that has the little peak that comes up. It has windows on either side, and that lets both um, light in, and they're operable, and they let the, the um, hot air out. So it's a way for heating and cooling and lighting of those buildings. Here we see it from the other side. So we start to see that these cannery buildings are very broad, wide, buildings, they have uh, shallow eaves, they're either gable roofs or they're hip roofs. 
the building uh, in the forefront has already been altered. It probably had a row of windows on that side, but it looks like it's covered up maybe with metal siding. Uh, well, maybe some of the others in the background may still have uh, wood siding. Um, this was one of my favorites when it was knocked down in the 1990s. It was said to be the oldest building on the waterfront. It dated to the 1870s. It was Marshall J. Kinney's office. Um, and here we start to see a little bit of design. It almost looks like our customs house down on the other end. It looks like this is kind of like a version of a Greek revival temple there, but greatly um, simplified. Where, where was it, John? This is at the foot of Fifth Street. So that's where you can get your gas now. Uh, it was knocked down for more tanks. Um, and so that, yeah, that's the foot of fifth. And masonry, which is like the bonded warehouse, a little bit unusual in its construction. Then we're going to go back in time a little bit and look at the Kinney Cannery, which was at the foot of uh, 6th Street. And that's the white building there. You can see that it has these huge volumes with it. And it, it's able to get those volumes with repetitive gable roofs. If you were to look at that footprint and compare it to downtown buildings, you could fit two and a half Liberty Theaters in that building. Its footprint is so large. And the building itself, because people always want to know, I don't know. I'm going to say it's 30, 35 feet, something like that, maybe more, uh, by the time it finally picks or hits the top. This building uh, was burned in the 1880s, rebuilt in the 1880s, and lasted until the 1990s. In fact, when it was rebuilt in the 1950s, um, a, a large grain ship got loose and knocked off about half of it. Um, and uh, for better or for worse, these uh, wooden buildings are really good in ship crashes because they collapse <laughs> and don't damage the ship as much. <laughs> so here we have the same building from another view. And again, you can see the repetitive gables. You can see the simplicity of form. And you can also start to see the lack of ornamentation. If we walk around the side here, we see that the windows generally have space between them. There's usually a, a wall space between them. Um, they are not wrapped with, um, with casings that have lots of detail. They're just one by fives. They, it, this doesn't have real brackets on it. There's nothing there. It's just siding. Now, this siding, by the way, is quote unquote new siding. If you were to wander around the back side, you'd be able to see the board and batten that used to be there on the entire building. So um, board and batten was a vernacular of our <coughs> waterfront. Then just across the way, we had the Kinney Box Factory. And that started off as this very industrial building. But look at it. It has some brackets, and it has this sweetheart of a front porch with, with uh, turned porch posts and, and all of that. That's all quote unquote new when it was converted to offices probably in the 30s or 20s or something like that. And the window sizes were changed as well. So that architectural detail came in later on very, very, very plain buildings. Then we have the Fisher Brothers building. This is concrete. And it gets its uh, detail from incredible painted signs on the exterior. And then just these punctured, these windows puncturing through that facade. There is not a lot going on there. It just has the smallest cornice 
um, wrapping around the upper area. Then we have this, which is the buoy beer. And this section that's closest to us is the oldest section. When this photograph was taken, its wooden siding was already being covered. It was covered with um, uh, metal siding. And you can see that this is actually a, a, a newer building because you're starting to group windows together. We didn't group windows together when these buildings were first built. We kept them separate. We changed structural systems we, uh, and, and all, and we started to group them and get more light through them. These uh, windows um, are probably from maybe a uh, craftsman era or something like that just because they have multi-pane over one window and that's generally from that era. You can usually identify it from that era with that style of window. But again, large volumes, in this case, a virtually flat roof. No detail. <clears throat> then we have the Louvre. And the Louvre makes the grand exception. This is where McDonald's is now, essentially, where McDonald's is now. And the architect um, also designed what um, our heritage museum, our fire museum, um, and, a, and a house up the hill. And this is the grand exception. He uses Moorish detail on the windows and on the arches. And it stands out because of that. And it has coining, which is to take a a wooden building and make it look like it's made out of stone. It has those pieces going down the corners that look like cut stone on it. Um, you can find parts of this building in the Heritage Museum as part of the display there. Um, and so this building was a saloon, gambling, and athletics, and others. <laughs> <laughs> it survived the fire of 22. It caught on fire later, and because it had that association with it, the red light association with it, it was torn down. It probably wouldn't have survived much longer anyway, because when we cut the curve of Marine Drive through, we barreled through a lot of um, uh, buildings to do that. As you cut around the corner to Plaza Jalisco, there were buildings all through there. And so this was one of those, or would have been one of those buildings. Then we go to the foot of 11th, and you can see where you can catch your riverboat to uh, Portland. And here we had some of the, at this time, some very, very small uh, gable roof buildings. Um, we had another large building. There was a river pilot's building, which ironically got hit by another ship um, and uh, demolished it as well. Then we have the Allen and Lewis wholesale building. It was. This is where Baked Alaska is today, and it was once a much larger building. You can see the yellow arrow showing you what's left. And the photo up above is before that building was renovated in, let's just say, 2000-ish or so. Uh, and uh, so again, these buildings had large footprints on them. Then we have the Fisher Brothers building. And here, uh, this building actually survived the Fire 22, and they reused two or three of the walls. This is a John Wicks building. And indeed, he did add a little bit of architectural detail at the top of the pilasters. There's some, I think there's uh, some terracotta pieces up there. Uh, but this is a slight, even though this was a ship chandlery and hardware and all of that, this was a little bit uh, more commercial and um, deserved. Um, to have a little bit more architectural treatment to it. 
Then we have the Calendar Navigation Company. This is where Clementes is now, and this is prior to its restoration um, in two, 2005. This was actually indoor parking uh, for many, many years uh, on the waterfront, and it was restored uh, to its historic view. Uh, but you can see a long building, and if you go by today, you can see the funkiest pattern of windows that you can imagine, but that was the way it was. We put those windows back just the way they had been um, originally. <coughs> now, if you ever want to know what a three-block-long building on the waterfront looks like, this is it. This starts at about the um, uh, Bar Pilot Building and goes through the Maritime Museum. Uh, we later used this uh, for regatta and would have basketball tournaments in it, etc. This was um, kind of a civic uh, recreation uh, place eventually, and it burned in the 1940s. But it was originally constructed just as a warehouse and was gigantic in its length. Okay, so everybody wants to know what a historic uh, hotel looks like on the waterfront, because I know that's what we're really talking about. And here we have an example. And that example is, these are all down near um, uh, video horizons, essentially. And all we have is just a little bit of a, uh, we have a, almost a tower there. We have pattern shingles on the top and nothing else. Uh, there's a little bit of bracket work going on in the eaves, and this is probably one of the fancier hotels on the waterfront. I'm going to show you probably one that's a little bit more fancy, but again, there is not a lot going on there. Then we have this, the wigwam, and it has even less going on in that building. It has all the so-called cribs going along the road there. You can see all the uh, rooms there. You can see a woman poking her head out um, as well. And you can see the proud owner standing there on the corner um, of, of the street. Then we have this, which was demolished in the 1980s uh, for a, a car sales lot. It's near, or was, near McDonald's. And it was uh, the uh, old Chicago hotel, one of the few false front buildings that we had uh, remaining. And that got pushed down again just to make space for cars and parking. This is probably the fanciest one. This is you know, where the butcher's store is. And it gets its ornamentation up on top of, of the uh, windows on the second floor. It also has a little bit on the pilasters, the, the kind of columns on the first floor. But overall, a simple building. I understand this is not in our zone, but I want to bring us there quickly anyway. Um, we, we talk about what about living quarters? What, 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 what might multiple housing look like, etc. Well, here we have a Chinese bunkhouse, and this was a part of the Bumblebee Cannery. Those of you who might have worked there, this is where you got your paycheck. And those of you who were tourists there, this is where you picked up your paper hat and went on the tour. And so you can see it's a part of this large campus of buildings. And these are some drawings to help you get a sense of what that building, how big that building might have been. This building, when these drawings were done, uh, you can see the first floor was, was significantly altered, but the footprint is about 75 by 32 feet. 
And then here, we see it's 30 feet tall. There is no ornamentation on this very vernacular building. So let's think about three types of respectful buildings that we might have in Astoria. One is matching, one is sympathetic, and one is contrasting. Matching is essentially replicating a building. Sympathetic means that it has characteristics of those older buildings, but it's not really copying. And contrasting is just that, it contrasts. Uh, but it's not so that uh, it jars you. So for the sake of argument, we're going to use downtown. If we look at the photograph in 1919, about this time of year when it's all covered in snow, uh, we see uh, Commercial Street is lined with wooden buildings. Of course, that burns in 1922. And what we did, if we just squint a little bit, we can say that in 1923, we had buildings that either matched those wooden structures or were sympathetic to those wooden structures. Some of them just are concrete buildings that look exactly like the wooden structures that were there prior to that. Then, in 1938, Rolf Klepp came along and built a spaceship on the corner of 12th and Commercial, which is where we have the, the sushi bar today. And nobody complained. Nobody was out there trying to tear that building down or anything else. Why? Because even though it contrasts, it picks up some of the volumes and materials of the earlier buildings. And so, yes, it contrasts, but yes, it also works. So, philosophy. Replicating the past is difficult and often discouraged by preservationists. I understand in my conversations with the public, 85 to 90% of the public believes the purpose of design review is to recreate historic buildings. And that is not necessarily the universal answer, nor is it necessarily a preservation philosophy. And there's many reasons for it, but here's two. Historic forms are use specific, and their de details do not translate well into new forms. So we have these very specific forms. And we've seen how developers have tried their best to add just one more piece of board and batten, and it's going to work. And it doesn't because it's the wrong form. Forms are the first piece of stylistic characteristic. If I were to hold up a rectilinear box and ask you, what style house is this rectilinear box? You would say, that's a ranch house. If I flipped it up and had a tall vertical box and said, what style is it? You'd say, that's a Victorian. If I handed you a cube, you'd say, that's an American Foursquare. That's a, that's a craftsman. And you've done that without seeing one pattern shingle, one turret, one sunburst, nothing. Because the form is the basis for those styles. And replication can oftentimes diminish the real value of historic buildings. When we get these kind of phony buildings in our town, it diminishes the real historic building. So let's think about, first, applying details to them. 
Here, we, many people love Victorian cottages. So why doesn't this work? <laughs> it's not the right form. Even though it has these beautiful, not a beautiful, it has a few window. It has turned porch posts. It has cute shingles on it. They're trying hard, but it doesn't work because it's the wrong form and, in part, the cheap materials. So then we have the next issue. And the next issue is that we are laying ourselves open for corporate America to come and try to design our vernacular buildings. And corporate America has failed miserably. And here's an example of that. <laughs> here we have a vernacular structure, and here is corporate America's interpretation of it. We, have all, we can imagine sitting here listening to the architect saying, but wait, we use stucco, we use arched windows, we use arched doors, we have an arched parapet. No, we don't have a bell tower, but we have the symbol that's evocative of And we have sat through those meetings, many of us have sat through those meetings in this very room. This is why you don't give it up. So, this then brings the next question. Whose past are we replicating anyway? If we're going to replicate the past, whose past is it? Are we replicate, replicating the Scandinavians? Are we going to create a cannery row with these fake historic buildings all the way down the waterfront? Is the Scandinavian era the pinnacle of our civilization on the lower Columbia River? That's awesome if we think that, but then we have to realize that Chinook Nason was here for thousands of years before with a working waterfront. But maybe we can't replicate that. Maybe there's even fewer Chinook lodges than there are Scandinavian <coughs> canneries. And the forms don't work. So maybe we have to move forward in time to another historic period, like maybe the 1950s, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> and this would be easier to do, to easier to replicate. But is that right? Maybe we should think about the people who have come to our community since then. Maybe they should be able to construct buildings that replicate their cultural and his, their background. And when this was proposed in the 1980s, the sheer size of it was not the shocking thing. Because those of us who were here at the time remembered that that condominium was always phase one of a much larger complex. So, whose past are we doing? And should we even think about replicating the past? So let's look at some examples quickly here on my, uh, as I wrap up. We can kind of put the Cannery Pier Hotel under matching for the moment. Jake took elements and he put them on a tall vertical form, which is not a cannery form. But he was able to force the perspective and force your entry to it as your mind says, oh, there's a larger building behind. And that all kind of works. It would, it would not be as successful if that building were on the land where you're walking around it. It might seem um, awkward, maybe, to have some of these elements on a tall, skinny building. A better example is the old builder supply, because it spreads out just like those old cannery buildings does. And it uses some of the same patterns and some of the same materials as it. So here we can say matching. So as we look at these, 
one answer may not be the answer for everything, but these are things to think about as you consider design on the waterfront. Then we look at something that's sympathetic, and we have the Seafood Consumer Center. It's not specifically trying to look old, but it picks up elements of things that have been along the waterfront and creates it in a, in a, in a nice kind of form that doesn't quite look maybe one era versus another. So it's sympathetic. And because I couldn't find a good example of contrasting, I jumped up the hill just a little bit and looked at the old St. Mary's, the Owens Adair. In 1905, there was this incredible Gothic hotel on it. And in the 1930s, they built our version of Art Deco, and they attached it to it. And instead of using wood, they did it in brick. And nobody circled the building telling them to tear it down, because it works with the volumes. It works with the overall feel. It makes sense. So it doesn't look like the original building, but it makes sense. It's not a huge leap to make. So that's the end of my presentation. Do you have any questions? First off, I'll start off just by saying thank you. And uh, so many Astorians, myself, as foremost as anyone are not from here, came very late, have strong opinions about what we love about the community and historic buildings, but don't have the background. And even if we even if we had been born and raised here, we're not old enough to have been here in the 1920s and 30s in most cases. And so just uh, you sharing your knowledge as you always do so well in your presentations in the community is just very, it's very helpful for me personally to understand better uh, more than just seeing the photographs, but hearing your discussion, what the history of our community is, and not that that's the only factor we consider as we go through the land use processes, but it's certainly important. So thank you. Yeah, I'd just like to just quickly say I really appreciate the presentation because um, I just think it's really interesting your, the discussion about what a building should look like when somebody proposes a new building, whether it's replacing one or whether it's just kind of growing up amidst other buildings. And, and it really, it's really challenging to kind of tie that, tuck that in. I look at, you know, our downtown and, and going up the hill and, and everything's there. You know, we can say this is historic. These downtown buildings historic. So many of these houses are historic that, are, that go up the hill. But then you go around the fringes and you look at these pictures and all the buildings that are gone, and it, they're not part of our landscape. And we have the, these kind of bare areas. And, and that was a challenge for me to try and, you know, when people talk, when you talk historic, to try and understand what that means. And, and so I appreciate what you're doing here and, and, and that. Uh, it confuses me even more. So <laughs> I'll keep working on it. Yeah, John, I really appreciate your coming to talk with us and providing some context. And I've heard you speak a number of times, but every time I do, I always learn something new. And you are really making us think and consider, one, whose history are we preserving? Um, because obviously we were not the first people here, even though we um, don't always think about that. Um, 
But again, I, I just really appreciate your passion for the history and architecture of our town. John, I'd like to ask you for your thoughts about the working waterfront concept. I mean, part of what made a working waterfront interesting is not just the buildings, which were interesting, but also the activity that went on. And of course, activities have changed, and I'm wondering how we think about that now. Because watching somebody do computer code is not the same as... No, but the working waterfront is the one consistent. Even though the styles have changed, the materials have changed, the Chinooks were, had a working waterfront here. And the Scandinavians had a working waterfront here. The people in the 50s had a working waterfront here. That's the one constant. And so you have things like, I, what I, when I was growing up, and there was still some of this left, it was pretty wonderful to go and see the canneries working and see that. And yes, it, it blocked a view, but it was part of us. It was part of the view and part of the experience. There's lots of areas over here where I can see, but I can only see that cannery here. And that's what made our waterfront different than, say, Portland or some other place. We still had these people that were working there. And whether it's fisheries or whether it's boat building, it's, it's site-specific stuff. It's not somebody who just wants to sell cotton candy over the water. That's, that's not it. It's this site-specific, something that has to be on the water. And that's what makes it special, and that's the continuum for thousands of years. Right. I'm just trying to think how we translate that now, and some of those, some of those industries that made up that working waterfront have diminished. And what, what in the current scheme of things might lend that same sort of look and feel? And as I say, watching that computer coder, coding, wouldn't be quite as interesting. Right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you, John. Reports of counselors. Uh, Councilor Rocca. Oh, hi. Well, we did a lot. Hang on just a second because I made a list if you wouldn't mind. It's been a million times since last time. Um, obviously, we all got together in, in goal setting a couple of times. Uh, I met with Steve Fick of Fishhawk Fisheries to talk a little bit about the riverfront and to get the perspective of somebody who's working on the riverfront and has been for a long, long time. I volunteered to be one of the button police at the uh, Fisher Poets Gathering and attended a diversity meeting where ideas were laid out for a homeless drop-in center. Volunteered at the Warming Center, had some fun at a benefit for Coast Community Radio, met with Uniontown Merchants, and attended a very moving memorial for a former city councilor and chocolatier, Don Borden. And the one thing that struck me at that was, if there was ever a testament to, to Don and his wife, it's uh, the kids and grandkids who were there and who spoke, and they are all uh, people that any one of us would be so proud of. Um, and I think that says a lot about Don and, and uh, Mrs. Morton, great parents they were. Thank you. Councilor West. Well, uh, a lot of mine overlaps with Roger because I feel like we did a lot of the same things. Um, I really enjoyed volunteering at Fisher Poets this year as I always do. It's 
hands down my favorite event of the year. I missed uh, Mayor Jones's um, reading at the level room, but I heard it was fantastic. Um, I, in between the last council meeting and this one, I also got to tour with Tim Williams, um, the Parks and Rec Director, and meet just numerous members of his incredible staff. And, and the Parks and Rec Tour was the day that I think it's rained the hardest in the last year. Uh, so it was done, um, we were inside the car a lot, but uh, <laughs> it was amazing. There was so much, um, so many parks and pieces of land that I didn't realize that the parks were responsible for. And uh, so that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, and I really enjoyed our goal setting as well, both with Wes Hare and with the department heads. Um, I felt, I feel like in these really condensed, you know, sometimes eight hour meetings, um, they go by really fast and I learned an incredible amount and I learned uh, a lot about how much of the council is really on the same page with a lot of our ideas um, and desires for Astoria and uh, that's all I have. Thank you. Councilor Browson. Thank you, Mayor Jones. Um, everybody was so busy. I felt like I was busy, but nothing to really report. Uh, goal setting, I, uh, once again, I thought it was a great session besides coming up with goals. Uh, it was really our first opportunity as a council to really sit down for a length of time and have a, a discussion. Um, and so I get to learn a lot about my fellow council uh, persons and uh, uh, also, I also find that I, I'm looking forward to uh, the next couple of years for sure uh, working with this group and I appreciate uh, all of you here. Um, other than that, I took my taxes in. <laughs> Thanks, Mayor. I just started working on my taxes today. Um, that, such joy. Anyway, um, I attended the Lower Columbia Diversity Coalition meeting a week ago Sunday with uh, Roger and about 45 other folks, I'd say, to hear um, mainly two folks, Nell Moffat and Rick Bowers, who are in the audience tonight, discuss their concept ideas for a drop-in center for unsheltered individuals in the community. It's in the, I would guess it's accurate to say, the infancy stages. There isn't funding, there is no location yet, but um, anyway, so there will be, I'm sure, plenty of opportunity for input if you want to provide that. I also attend the monthly meetings of the Astoria Downtown Historic District Association, which is a really can-do, high-energy group, especially for 8.30 on a Friday morning. And one of the activities that they do on a regular basis is to welcome new businesses to the community. And this last Thursday, I got to be part of that. About half a dozen of us took flowers to, I think it was five new businesses. And um, I'm, I have to say, I'm so grateful that we have such an intact, vibrant downtown when so many communities have lost theirs. I want to particularly give a shout out to the folks, the Weber family who have been renovating the YMCA building, what I still think of as the Y because I used to swim there 30 years ago. It's at 12th and Exchange. I'm sure you've probably all driven by. But um, that used to be a very sorry looking building and it has truly uh, had a stunning facelift. And um, I suspect that the Weber family and most of the families 
who own businesses downtown, don't have big corporate backers. They're really relying on the generosity of family, <clears throat> excuse me, family members and sweat equity. And um, so just really impressed with their work. And then finally, I also want to thank my fellow council members and Mayor Jones for what actually was a fun eight hours discussing <laughs> wide-ranging topics about Astoria. And as Tom said, we may not always agree on the way that we want to get from here to there, but I know our commitment is, is equal. We're all passionate about this place. Thank you. Thanks, Councilor Herman. So, Mr. Epstein, can we schedule 12 hours for both City? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only thing I'll add is, uh, in addition to having the privilege of uh, participating in Fisher Poets, telling some stories of uh, rescuing fishermen back in the day, uh, I did attend their closing session on Sunday morning out at Pier 39, and on behalf of the city, thanked them profusely for all their participants, their uh, uh, John Broderick and uh, Jan Speakman and the board members for putting on this event because uh, you know this the city this isn't the city's event they they're a uh, they formed a 501c3 and they bring this to our community they could have had they could have started doing Fisher poets in any one of a couple dozen uh, fishing ports on in the Pacific Northwest in Alaska and they chose Astoria and they've kept it in Astoria they want to keep it in Astoria and I thank them for. Uh, what they do to help sort of pre preserve our uh, maritime uh, heritage and natural resource-based uh, culture. And I told them that uh, we, love, we love them, we're happy they're going to keep coming back. We're happy, of course, that the hotels are all full for three nights and the restaurants are getting plenty of business from people that tip well. And, but in addition to that, it's just the cultural piece. That festival is probably the most genuine festival that happens of our many great festivals in our community, so we're very thankful for that. Are there any changes to the agenda? No changes. Next item is the consent calendar. Uh, items on the consent calendar are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion unless a member of the council requests to have an item considered separately. Members of the community may have an item removed if they contact the city manager by 5 p.m. on the day of the meeting. Have any items been requested to be removed by the public? No requests. Uh, councilors, are there any items you wish to remove? Then may we have a motion to approve the uh, consent calendar. I move, uh, I move that we approve the consent calendar as presented. I second. Roll call vote on Mr. Pearson. Councilor Kerman. Yes. Councilor Carlton. Aye. Councilor West. Here. Councilor Rocco. Aye. Mayor Jones. Aye. Item seven, the regular agenda. All agenda items are open for public comment following deliberation by the council. Um, I'll ask audience members to raise their hands if you would like to speak to an item on the agenda and uh, you'll be recognized, uh, comments limited to three minutes. Item seven A is uh, public hearing and contract authorization to sole source the Maritime Memorial expansion. So over the last several years, the Maritime Memorial Committee and city staff have been working towards the expansion of the Maritime Memorial to provide additional capacity for names to be engraved. Staff has moved forward with plans and in anticipating completing the project by Memorial Day of this year when the yearly celebration of, of uh, let's say celebration, the somber uh, remembrance of, uh, of all the names are read uh, by uh, 
uh, representatives of the community, all the names that are engraved on the committee, uh, the uh, memorial read on that day. The work of the expansion will consist of construction of a new uh, set of six foot tall concrete walls and insulation of uh, additional black granite panels, as well as um, constructing a new bench, uh, which is going to be uh, a little bit further to the south of the existing bench currently located on the Maritime Memorial. Because of its long association with the Maritime Memorial, staff has been working with Astoria Granite to develop a special procurement, which is also commonly referred to as a sole source contract under City of Astoria Code. Uh, this uh, has been recommended by staff as over the last three decades, um, they have been the contractor responsible for uh, placing the granite panels on the concrete walls. And it's in staff's opinion that Astoria Granite and their team of subcontractors is capable of completing the project uh, in a capacity that will get the project done um, and because of their knowledge of how this memorial has been built over the years. I would note that we have included findings um, in the packet uh, for council's review uh, to consider this sole source contract. So in compliance with uh, City of Astoria Code, it's required that council hold a public hearing tonight on the sole source contract. And it's recommended that the council authorize a construction contract with Astoria Granite Incorporated in the amount of 172,000. And before I open the public hearing, I just want to note, I see Mr. Jim Knight from the Port of Astoria is here. And on behalf of the city, Jim, I just want to say thank you to the port for your very generous uh, lease arrangements to allow for the Maritime Memorial expansion. And the Maritime Memorial has a very large constituency in our community. People care about it a lot, and it means a lot. So thank you. And at this time, I'll open the public hearing. Is there anyone that would like to speak uh, regarding the Maritime Memorial expansion sole source contract? Public hearing is closed. And council comments. I would just say that the uh, the topic of the memorial came up at the uh, Uniontown Merchants Meeting, and uh, I, I think I just wanted to point out, uh, as in my understanding, the the, the the memorial is pretty much self-supporting, is it not? The basically the fees that people pay for the plaques are what support the. That's correct. The, in this one case, uh, because the the project was in excess. The project amount was in excess of the monies that were in the Maritime Memorial Fund. The uh, City Council Astoria Development Commission approved some budget amendments of, uh, last month to be able to provide a loan from uh, the Astro West Urban Renewal District to uh, the Maritime Memorial Fund, which will ultimately be paid back by future receipts. But correct, it is, it is one of those situations where it is uh, paid for and expanded with revenues from folks paying to have their family's names engraved on the wall. That was my comment as well. I just, in case anyone was wondering, because $172,000 is a lot of money, but it is pretty much uh, self-supporting, you could say. Yeah, I had the same question for Brett, I think. Um, 
and maybe be an email exchange, but when you look at their numbers, it's definitely, definitely adds up, even if they need to initially take out a loan. So. Could we have a motion? And, and Mayor and Council, if I would, um, any motion, um, I would uh, ask that uh, the Council adopt the draft findings as uh, proposed by staff. I'll move that we adopt the draft finding as proposed by staff. And authorize the construction contract with Estuary Granite in the amount of $172,000. As noted. <laughs> I'll, I'll second that. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Item 7B is the second reading and adoption of the ordinance amending city code 1 dot six zero zero through one dot six four zero relating to the ambulance franchise program so the council held a public hearing and held a first reading with regard to this item at your february 19th meeting Oregon revised statute section 682.062 was enacted in 2003 which gave counties the authority to develop a plan for the need and coordination of ambulance services. And Clatsop County established that service area plan consist consistent with the statutes. And this uh, current city code amendment is cleaning up some outdated language within our municipal code because it's in conflict with the county's ambulance service area plan. Tonight it's recommended that council hold a second reading and consider adopting the ordinance amending city code section 1.600 through 1.640 regarding the ambulance franchise program. Council discussion. Well, I'd like to ask for the second reading. An ordinance revising ordinance 1.600 to 1.640 relating to the ambulance franchise program. And I move that we adopt uh, the ordinance amending city code 1.600 to through 1.640 relating to the ambulance franchise program. I'll second that. I can't see you. Go ahead. Okay, I'll take it. I'll second that. Roll call on Ms. Brooks. Uh, Council Herman. Yes. Council Brownson. Aye. Council West. Aye. Council Rondon. Aye. And Mayor Jones. Aye. Item 7C is the Grand Avenue Sanitary Sewer Repair Project Construction Contingency. So during a recent video inspection of the sanitary sewer pipe on Grand Avenue between 30th and 31st Streets, city staff discovered a collapsed portion of that pipe which required immediate attention. Uh, this repair um, and uh, would include replacement of about 40 feet of a 24-inch diameter pipe that is between 10 and 15 feet deep. The Public Works Department staff quickly put together a construction set of documents and solicited quotes. One was received from Big River Construction and it was in the amount of $47,400. Uh, this was in with within the city manager's spending authority and contracts uh, were approved to keep the project moving forward. However, this, uh, this uh, amount is very close to the city manager's spending authority of $50,000. So if it becomes necessary to process a change order, it would likely result in the need to exceed the city manager's spending authority. What's proposed tonight is to avoid 
uh, costly construction delays and to ensure that the project can be completed in an efficient manner, staff is recommending that council approve a $10,000 construction contingency and that it be approved in advance if needed. So tonight it's recommended that city council approve a $10,000 construction contingency budget for the Grand Avenue Sanitary Sewer Repair Project. And again, this would only be used uh, should there uh, be the need uh, to do any change orders as they may arise. Any discussion? We have to do this, obviously. Yeah. So this seems like an easy one. And I know that in the past, I think your limitation was 10,000 before it had to go through a process of approval, which greatly delayed a lot of things. So I would like to avoid that. Yeah, I mean, so the, the, this is a case where this would have been a project that before the increase of the city manager's spending authority would have had to come to council initially. What we're just looking at here is because it is so close to the $50,000 limit, we just don't want to be in a case where uh, we're in a, in a, in a pinch and uh, a part of the, the construction process where we have the site opened up and we don't have the, the leeway to be able to make uh, the necessary approvals financially to, to move the project forward. So this contingency just provides that additional buffer you know, if there, there was that need. Well, I'd like to move that we approve $10,000 construction contingency budget for the Grand Avenue Sanitary Sewer Repair Project. I would like to second that. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Item 7D is the column lighting policy. So in 2014, council gave direction to the park staff to limit the use of colored lighting effects of the column to twice a year when they were specifically approved by the council. At the May 21st meeting of last year, there was special dispensation granted by the council uh, to allow the column to be lit uh, for a uh, third time in the, uh, in the year. And at that time, the council asked the friends of the column to prepare a policy that uh, would regulate future lighting requests. And that is what is being brought before you this evening. The Friends have proposed a policy that coincides with the installation of new LED lights, uh, which have been installed up at the column. A letter was presented to the council at your February 25th work session from the uh, Friends of the Column, and council was receptive to the policy proposals and provided staff direction to develop a policy that would be brought back for official consideration. So um, after communicating more with the Friends of the Column last week, it is the Friends' recommendation that the column be lit to acknowledge federally recognized holidays or to celebrate events and occasions related to the history and status of Astoria. And uh, staff, uh, in their communications with the Friends, uh, received some clarification that the friends were also asking to have Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve added to the list. They're not federal holidays, but the, the friends asked to, to be able to include those uh, two additional dates. In addition, the friends have proposed that the column could be eliminated on other days simply for the fun and enjoyment of the colors uh, of uh, the new lighting system, and lighting on the fun days would not be done in association with a particular cause. Um, these days would be selected at the discretion of the Friends of the Astoria Column. 
So it's recommended tonight that the council will review and consider the proposed policy and uh, provide direction in form of a motion if you so choose. And I, yeah, I only regret we don't have a video to show the, um, the public that's here. I, I, I did see a video that was sent around and it's quite beautiful. It's really spectacular. It's more than I almost sounded kind of hokey to me when I heard it described, but when I saw it, it's actually it's actually quite beautiful. A question, if I could, um, for Brett, is that you said celebrated events related to Astoria's history? Would that also be at the Friends' discretion? No, I think they. That's one of the days that they included. Uh, they have uh, Astoria's birthday as yeah. April twelfth included in there. The, the days that they included as the federal holidays were New Year, um, and, and the, the preceding days are New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, President's Day, Astoria's birthday, which is Astoria, oh, excuse me, April 12th, Memorial Day, 4th of July, uh, the Regatta celebration, so that's an additional um, Astoria-specific event, Labor Day, Veterans Day, uh, Thanksgiving Friday through the Sunday after, uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Any comments? Well, I've got a, um, just a couple questions. Okay. Well, first a comment to note that, uh, so in the past, just for reference, we lit the calendar column twice a year um, for a month at a time for special cause, and that's what we're eliminating um, that program completely. That's my comment. So, it, so it's just for the day, for the day, or a couple days surrounding probably um, uh, each of these events. And I, so, but the only things that I, I don't see here mentioned are what color or what days. Are we again? Is this something that um, I assume that? That's they're just going to decide, and they'll be surprised for all of us. Right, but then at the principal column discretion is what okay. has been proposed by. And uh, the other thing is, and then the, the fun days. I'm a little fuzzy on fun days, and, <laughs> and, and so it kind of could be very random. Again, I, I suspect, if I remember when we were having this discussion that we were, uh, this is something we, you know, if, if we get, if there's some <coughs> negative impact I don't know what it is, but if there is, that we can review this in the future and, and have further discussion. And this sort of a, just a whole new thing for the call. And I, and I know that historically there have been people for and against lighting columns, um, different colors and whatnot. And uh, so I guess we'll just wait for people. Yeah, I think that, you know, in communication with the Friends of the Column, some of the, the fun days is they're thinking of on a, on a Saturday night or something like that, they, they, they would do that. It was it was more, um, again, there, there was some uh, leeway requested, but it was really on a, you know, kind of on a weekend night uh, that they would uh, choose to do that. But you are correct. This is a policy uh, which is uh, considered by the Astoria City Council. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the Friends of the Column made the proposal as they, they manage many of the operations of the column, but it's ultimately up uh, to the city council. Right, and it's no worry. We ask them to right. bring this to us as well. So uh, that's all. I guess I, I would just point out that the 
the change away from causes in no way um, suggests or implies that we don't uh, honor and support those causes for which it was lit in the past, but there's a, such a slippery slope there. And there's so many causes in the world that that perhaps that's not what the council should be spending a lot of time with on a regular basis. And so that would be my reason for thinking this is probably a good idea. Since this affects the public, I'll ask if anyone has uh, from the public wants to speak to this issue. Please uh, come up. Rose Mary, tell us what your name is. Rosemary Johnson speaking as a private citizen, 672 15th Street. When I heard the list, you didn't mention Scandinavian Festival. Wouldn't that be a Heritage Astoria event? I suspected <laughs> the eyes of many people, including the city council has just approved some funding for the park. I didn't know if that was a definite list and whether it needed to be added or... The... Um, I mean, it, it's not one of the specifically granted uh, days. I guess they could choose it to be a, a fun day. It's not a cause. The Scandinavian <laughs> Festival is not a cause, per se. I, I would say we could give feedback to the, uh, the friends of the Astoria column that that was suggested. And to me, it seems reasonable. Does put anyone on the council have an object, objection to... Well, just remember, um, Fisher Poets, Dark Arts, uh, Crab <laughs> Festival, but those, so, one of them is heritage of Astoria, so that's, yeah. Those and, are, and it all may be valid, but just that, that opens that door. Right, which ones? Okay. Could be I a think if the Scandinavian day. Festival were to add a wife carry here, that would definitely make it a fun day and they would be added automatically. Well, then, could we have a motion regarding the, uh, the policy? Sure. Um, I move that we consider the proposed policy um, noted above from the friends of the Asteroid Column concerning the lighting of the column on holidays and special fun days. And that was to approve the, approve the policy? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Approve the policy. Uh, I'll second it. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? And I'll just add a note that. We, uh, we are very appreciative of the Friends of the Astoria Column and all they do to, uh, to keep that wonderful park and column maintained as beautifully as it is uh, through the fundraising efforts of the board members and uh, collection of the, uh, the parking fees. We're quite lucky to have them. Item 7E, Draft City Council Goals. So uh, this uh, is um, an agenda item for the goals that were created by the City Council last week to be presented to the public. Uh, it's been the Council's past practice that at the meeting following the goal setting session that the, the draft goals be presented in the Council packet, uh, but that no uh, adoption happened on that first night to be able to allow for additional discussion um, and uh, community dialogue about those goals. And typically those are brought back um, about a month um, after the initial goal setting session. And that date hasn't been 
established yet, and I would work with the mayor to determine uh, when that would be. And I'll just note for the, the public who wasn't at the goal setting uh, session, so we, we didn't actually wordsmith any goals at the session. We had discussions on each topic, and uh, once we came to sort of verbal agreement, uh, Mr. Estes was taking notes, and then he came back and crafted that into statements, which is what was put into the agenda uh, tonight. So we had not actually sat down and collectively tried to wordsmith any of these goals. So this is sort of to, to, to make the goals generally known to the public. We can assume some of the words are going to change. I would, uh, my suggestion, I will ask that we, we add to the tail end of our March uh, work session some discussion among the council. We certainly can make any discussion, comments, or questions tonight, but then we can maybe dig a little further at our March work session and come to consensus on the wording, as well as deciding whether or not we want to have a council uh, vision statement. We had a, at our goal setting session, we had an hour left at the end with our facilitator and had a general discussion on the council's vision, and we can certainly take some time and further flesh that out and decide if we want to, to use it or not. I would, I would just also mention if you're looking at the list of goals up there, we did not prioritize them. So just because you see something at the bottom doesn't mean it's last in priority or vice versa. You know, I'd add on as far as any specific comments for our, our next discussion in a week and a half at uh, the work session regarding the library goal, I think we, we sort of used the language from last year, which is fairly generic. And I, Based on our discussion, personally, I'd be in favor of a, a, a more uh, a more vigorous statement of support for uh, for achieving funding for the um, the library renovation project. But we can certainly discuss that in more detail in a week and a half. Yeah, I, I'm pretty satisfied in general with with uh, what we have here, and I think that's a great idea to have a work session to kind of uh, get a little more detail into it or just work it out, clarify, make sure everything's correct there. Uh, uh, so I really don't have anything to add. I just think it's a good opportunity for the audience and for the public to see what we've been talking about. And, um, that's all I've got. Well, I guess the only other thing that I would mention is that some of these goals carry over from the previous year. And that doesn't mean that the former council wasn't working on them and didn't accomplish what they should have been doing. It's just that they're goals that are going to take several years and their work's in process or progress. What we did agree on, though, at the goal setting is that uh, what these are are things that we can measure ourselves against and that we, we, we will revisit them frequently to make sure that we are maintaining our commitment to moving these goals forward. I, I would agree with that. I think um, for me, sometimes it's easy to get overwhelmed with uh, the amount of decisions that you have to make. And I felt like this discussion with the council was really useful for me because it gave me a lot of, um, just gave me, well, I like bulleted lists for one thing, but it just gave me a lot of things to kind of revisit and come back to really good central reminders. Um, of why we make the decisions that we do and, and some of the feedback that we hear from the community. So, um, 
Okay, I think we'll carry that forward. Item uh, 7F, the last item on the regular agenda tonight is a discussion on the Urban Core Code Amendments. So while um, Rosemary Johnson is coming forward with her, with her city hat on this time, uh, the Planning Commission has been working on draft code amendments for the Urban Core portion of the um, Riverfront Vision Plan. And uh, this is the last area uh, to be rezoned uh, for the uh, Riverfront Vision Plan implementation project. And what Ms. Johnson is going to do is, uh, is uh, be able to provide that overview of the Planning Commission's work. And again, this is a uh, still in the uh, drafting phase. This is not a public hearing um, pro process at this point. However, if there are some comments or some feedback from Council, uh, we'd like to be able to hear that this evening because then we will uh, be able to note that and be able to report back to the uh, Planning Commission as to that direction from the, uh, from the City Council. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to Ms. Johnson and, and Mayor. If uh, I don't know if, uh, if uh, you're fine with some folks uh, on the staff table and um, have to be able to get home, are you fine if, if they're not tied to this project to be able to? Absolutely. Okay. So if there's something there that uh, I think the rest of them really kind of focus on maybe a lot of uh, planning and uh, community development types of types of issues. You just make some big smiles there. Does somebody hear me talk? I can I can see there's some people out in the hallway. There are empty chairs inside. If you if you're waiting for a chair, come on in. If not, then uh, never mind. have the final draft this is still in the works and so we wanted to get feedback from you this is just an overview of where we're heading okay uh, tonight what we're going to do is just provide the overview of the draft there's the physical and visual access to the river there's view related development standards Permitted uses and related development standards, design standards and guidelines, landscaping standards, and then we'll ask questions at the end or you have questions for me. So first off, uh, the urban core area is in red. It goes from 2nd Street to 16th, and it goes along Marine Drive, except from 8th to 16th, it includes the north side of Commercial Street. So it does go a little bit more into the downtown. Uh, the first portion of the Planning Commission review dealt with the visual and physical access and the view-related development. So we broke it up into three different areas that they were reviewing, so it wasn't the entire document at once. So under the visual access to the river, what we did was looked at designating uh, some areas that are called limitation areas. So the areas in red 
are the ones where there will be no development higher than the bank. The blue areas already have some development and they would be the non-limitation areas where a lot of these standards will apply. So visual access um, for the limitation areas, we're saying maximum height is top of bank, structure width, individual buildings, because they could potentially have a building, a short building that would only be to the top of the bank. Uh, could not go more than 60% of the parcel width or 150 feet, whichever is smaller. All buildings or contiguous parcels under the same ownership would be uh, under that 60%, so they couldn't have multiple properties and have 60% on each of them. Uh, minimum 40-foot view quarters between buildings and minimum 70-foot view quarter at street ends. So on your north-south street corridors, that would continue with a 70-foot wide corridor. You could not build in. Uh, structures that are, again, this is the limitation areas, would be limited to 4,000 square feet. Now what we're envisioning here is possibly someone could do a, a decking or a pier for boats or something, but nothing that's going to be high or or developed, so nothing that would block the views. In the non-limitation areas, and this is over water, the maximum height is uh, proposed to be 28 feet with an allowance up to 35 feet if the building width is reduced below the 60% per parcel. Uh, and then the same other standards would apply for building spaces and setbacks, that 70-foot corridor, the 40-foot width, and, uh, and the 4,000 square foot maximum. So all those would apply also. Now when you get to the visual access, uh, how the planning commission felt, the majority of them supported the limitation areas and some of them supported allowing uh, some taller buildings in exchange for further restricting building width. So this was where we didn't have a complete uh, agreement with the commission. There was some agreement. So these are some of the questions that they still are working through. For physical access, uh, all three of our other um, areas have noted the same physical access. And what we did is that this would be applied uh, for new construction or major renovations of buildings that they provide some physical access with uh, decking out beyond the building. An example of that would be number 10 6th Street with the viewing tower. That would have been an extension similar to what we're envisioning here. Not necessarily the tower, but the decking going out. The foot of 14th Street, we have a viewing um, decking that goes out beyond the River Pilots boat, uh, the River Pilots building. So these are the types of uh, deckings that we would envision. The one, the river trail extension, that's similar to the red building out in Uniontown. The river trail at the Maritime Memorial uh, will go, goes around the red building. So you can take and get out beyond the building to see the river. So those are examples of ones that have already been built. Uh, the Planning Commission, the majority of them supported the uh, proposed standards. However, uh, there was additional discussion by some of them that they thought these extensions should only be within rights of way. 
So the city rights away over the water, not on the private property portion. So that's a, still for them to discuss. Um, View-related standards, this is on land. What they're looking at is within 100 feet of the river trail on the landward side, it would be limited to 28 feet. However, you could go 35 feet depending on step backs. And if you remember step back after so many feet high, you would step back 10 feet and then you could get some additional height. And then some exceptions for a height up to 45 feet, and that would be if it's multifamily development, which includes affordable housing, or if the buildings provide a plaza, courtyard, or other pedestrian amenity or public gathering space. Now again, this is 100 feet back from the shoreline, so it's not along the shoreline itself. The setbacks we're looking at north-south with a 70-foot minimum uh, view corridor. Most of our streets uh, downtown are 60 feet wide, which means each building on the sides would have to set back five feet to achieve a 70-foot wide right-of-way. And, and Rosemary, I want to clarify that um, if you look downtown, the rights-of-way include the sidewalks already. So Correct. Uh, commercial street, the building facades is your right-of-way line. So from the building facade to building facade is 60 feet. Uh, the minimum setback adjacent to the river trail would be 10 feet on the south side or landward side and 20 feet on the north. Now the river trail property is 50 feet wide, so you're looking at an 80 foot wide corridor of no construction. And the setback area must be landscaped to include pedestrian-oriented amenities. Stepbacks, uh, we mentioned, if you go above 15 feet or one story, then in order to get any additional height, you step back the next uh, levels of the building at least 10 feet. And that 10-foot area cannot include balconies or fixed awnings that would be an intrusion into that step back. And there's an example of a step back area. Okay, now the Planning Commission, the building heights, they recommended the height uh, to go down to 35. Originally we were looking at 45. And just to let you know, the downtown C4 zone has a 45 foot height limit right now. And so what this is, is a reduction in this um, urban core overlay zone to take that downtown height down to 35. Uh, they also suggested allowing additional height for affordable housing. Uh, the setbacks, they supported the recommendation and the stepbacks were mostly supported, uh, but some did not support requiring a step back on the <coughs> north-south streets. So on the sides, if you're looking down, say, 11th Street, they were saying you would not need to do a step back there as long as you had that 70-foot wide uh, view corridor. So that's still up for uh, discussion at the Planning Commission. Can I ask a question mm -hmm. now? So a lot of the discussions that we've heard for public and, um, and committee member interest in reducing heights has been around river views. But so for that section, the downtown section between Marine Drive and Commercial, 
which typically we don't think of as the waterfront property. It's just sort of downtown. What was the conversation behind wanting to reduce the heights in the, the downtown non-water side corridor? They're thinking the commercial to um, and marine to the north, they were just trying to get it down because most of the downtown is 35 or less. Uh, we don't have very many 45 foot high buildings. And so they were trying to keep more of that view from the hillside and the view from the river because we had comments from people that even the view from the river looking up the hillside. So they wanted to reduce it down at that uh, first hundred feet. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, the second meeting was on the uses and what rezoning some of the properties. This is the current zoning, and as you can see, the aquatic is A2, aquatic two development, and then the uh, area around second and the state offices, that's in the C2, which is tourist-oriented commercial. Very limited what kind of uses. C3 is your general commercial, and it's the, mo the broadest of allowable uses in commercial zones. The S2A was a tourist-oriented shoreland zone, and the C2 and the S2A were put in at a time when Astoria was trying to reinvent itself. Uh, we were economically depressed. We were trying to find ways to bring economy here. And so the city was looking to create tourist-oriented areas to draw more businesses that cater to the tourists. We've got that now. <laughs> we don't need to have areas that uh, are concentrating solely on tourism. Uh, we have it throughout the city at this point. And then, Rosemary, if I could, um, another point, this has been a bit of a frustration for uh, staff and the Planning Commission over the years because there are sometimes conditional use permits that have to go through to be able to allow businesses that cater to local interests um, and those are not permitted outright in these zones. And the Planning Commission said over the years, um, you know, why should we uh, have limitations on local businesses that serve local customers in these areas? Uh, and this, uh, there's been just some frustration about um, different business owners who have had to go through these conditional use processes um, when their business was not a certain percentage based on tourism. So this would uh, pretty much make it closer to what we're doing now when you see the changes we're proposing. The C4 is your downtown commercial zone. It's uh, very restrictive in the types of uses. They're more pedestrian oriented and not automotive. Uh, no drive-through uh, food foods and things like that. So this is what we're proposing. We would change the C2 to C3. That would be more general development. <coughs> The S2A, one block of it we would change to C3 to make that entire area up to um, 8th Street, I think that is, um, change to C3. The rest of the S2A we would change to C4 to match the rest of the downtown. Uh, right there at the bottom left you see a C3 to C4. That is the triangle where the liquor store is. And we thought that was more conducive to the downtown zone than C3. Uh, the S2A to C3 area, that is near the 
uh, between 15th and 16th Street, that's Scandinavian Park area, and uh, the land area in front of Moe's. So what we're looking at is to eliminate the C2 and the S2A in this area. Okay, so for the uses, over water. Now, over water, remember this is the non-limitation areas, because limitation, you're at the top of bank. So these would be the uses that are currently allowed in those zones that we want to prohibit. Um, indoor entertainment, which is does not have an age limitation, but allow indoor family entertainment. The difference would be a strip joint versus a video arcade for kids, okay? Um, hotels and motels uh, be prohibited over water, but allow facilities, the existing ones, to be repaired, replaced, and or redeveloped with a new hotel. So if it should burn down, it could redevelop as a hotel. But basically just grandfathering in the existing ones. No new overwater hotels. No overwater conference, fossil fuel, auto sales, wood processing. Professional and medical offices has been controversial whether or not to allow those. Uh, there's some differences of opinions because we do have several that are existing right now, especially like at 12th Street. Uh, so that one uh, is still being discussed. Also, prohibit residences um, except existing winds, which would be able to be repaired, replaced, uh, or maintained. And then other uses that are allowed, you would go to the base zones to see what's allowed. Then over land, the permitted outright in the commercial zones. Because we got rid of some shoreland zoning, we wanted to make sure that some of the uses that are appropriate for that shoreland area were carried over into this uh, area. <coughs> so like the light manufacturing with a retail component, multifamily above the first floor, <coughs> excuse me, existing hotels uh, could also be expanded or uh, reconstructed parks and museums, shoreline stabilization, you don't have that currently in your C4 because it's not shoreline, <coughs> small boat building, and repair, navigation aid, and transportation. Uh, and then uh, conditionally, we would allow motel hotel. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Take 10 minutes now since it's 8 30. So, 8 30 now, we'll be back in 10 minutes.
take your seats, we'll get started again. Reviewed the on land permitted uses, and then on land they have things that are going to be prohibited: uh, auto sales, gasoline, manufacturing or light manufacturing without a retail component, so close to the public. Um, single or two-family dwellings, except above, below, or behind commercial development. Animal hospital or kettle, conference center, construction service drive-through, hospital, repair service, transportation, except the intermodal center, and warehousing. Um, development standards on land would establish maximum gross floor area of 30,000 square feet for commercial uses. And commercial means non-residential. <coughs> okay, on the AP Planning Commission, <coughs> They generally supported recommendations. Uh, they, <coughs> I'm sorry. The recommendation to prohibit residential uses over water, except the rehab of existing residential facilities. Um, <coughs> mixed opinions on permitting medical and dental offices over water. Um, they're recommending to prohibit them, but that's what I said earlier, professional or uh, offices. <clears throat> so that one's still undecided. Add permitted uses for commercial zones uh, that would relate to the S2A zone, like the shoreline stabilization and those others that I noted. Okay, the third meeting was design standards and landscaping. <clears throat> the building style and form, what they're doing is proposing standards and guidelines. And this one is going to be slightly different than the other areas because downtown has more historic buildings and it is a National Register Historic District. So the facade variation, they're asking uh, for recesses and extensions, roof line offsets, uh, every 30 feet. And this would be similar to your downtown street facades where you have recessed doorways and some other areas like that. Uh, prominent main entries oriented to the sidewalk <clears throat> and um, design features to distinguish the main entry. Uh, distinctive base, middle, and top of building, again like your downtown. Uh, parking location to the side or rear of buildings, not in the front pedestrian areas. Um, make them com uh, any design compatible with nearby historic buildings. And this was an issue that came up with the Bridge Vista when you had the hotel. We are working on language to make it a little more, um, I, don't, I don't want to say strict, but a clear of what that means, what is compatibility, or which buildings are they looking at. Um, the corner entries, uh, or you could also accentuate your corners of buildings. And then architectural base to encourage and reflect traditional storefront designs. <clears throat> so again, this is looking more like our downtown area and those types of buildings. Other design features that they will have are what roof forms, materials, doors, windows, 
So like the, with the doors, they don't want sliding doors. Uh, windows, they are prohibiting things like uh, bubble windows or vinyl uh, windows that are not appropriate for downtown. Uh, siding and wall treatments, awnings, awnings so that they are compatible with the size of the windows and aren't out of scale. Uh, lighting standards so that it is downlit and not glaring. And signs, uh, again, trying to keep to the downtown type signage. Uh, the Planning Commission supported the concepts for these designs, but haven't looked at the specifics yet. They were just reviewing them in general. So they have not seen a full draft yet, because we don't, we don't have the full draft. Uh, generally supported the other standards, uh, and they did suggest some changes that we'll be working on. Setbacks uh, adjacent to Marine Drive and parallel right-of-ways, except the River Trail. So you've got Astor Street in there, which parallels Marine. Uh, the minimum setback is zero. We want it built up to the property line, like your downtown. You don't have any uh, setbacks. And maximum setback, five feet, which would give you that quarter on the north-south streets, uh, similar. But that maximum setback could go to 20 feet if they provide walkways and plazas and other pedestrian gathering areas. Landscaping, uh, it'll be very similar to Bridge Vista and the Civic Greenway areas where we have spacing of the trees, types of trees, uh, so that you still have your view quarters and the trees aren't blocking it just like buildings would. So there's grouping of trees and they have to be 30 feet apart and different lists of materials for waterfront appropriate uh, landscaping. Um, the Planning Commission generally supported the recommendations and they just wanted a little clarification on riparian areas south of the river trail. In some cases, the river trail has water areas south of it. And so how that was addressed needed to just be changed a little. <clears throat> uh, the next steps in this, uh, we need to get the draft uh, ready to send to the Planning Commission for review. We need to look at the Bridge Vista overlay amendments that uh, we worked with with the City Council at your work session to make sure that all of those uh, clarifications carry over into the urban core so we don't have the same problems. Uh, the Planning Commission um, is not going to have the work session on March 26th that uh, after we did this, I sent the, the presentation, we in, uh, eliminated that. But the Planning Commission will hold a public hearing on May 28th, that's a tentative date. Then after that hearing, we'll take in any considerations from the public testimony, come up with a next draft of the amendment to present to the City Council for public hearing potentially July 1st. Uh, these are tentative dates, uh, but that's the ones that we're looking at right now. And so with that, we just need to find out uh, if any of this if you have any questions or concerns with the way they're going or any suggested changes. Yeah. So um, I'll ask for council comment first and then we'll open it up to the public for public comment and then come back to the council again to provide guidance to the, uh, to the staff. So uh, council comments. I'll start with a question then. 
Um, so on one of your last, next to last slides, in the discussion of compatibility with nearby historic buildings, and it was just, I was thinking back to uh, Mr. Goodenberger's presentation, and I, I'm not gonna use the right terms, but he talked about, you know, you can either like copy a historic building, uh, complement it, or contrast it. I mean, so is, and he gave the example of the Torah, what's now the Torah Sushi building as a, you know, a sort of a radical contrast of what was there before. So does, does that language requiring compatibility with nearby historic buildings, which I'm very sympathetic to, but does it preclude ever having a sort of a striking new building as part of the landscape? That would be the contrast building, something that is new. You could have a new design as long as it's compatible. You don't want something that's out of mass and scale with the others. And the historic preservation does not necessarily, like John said, want a historic replication. So new design is fine as long as those general forms and um, scale come in together. Um, kind of the pattern of windows or locations so that you're not having uh, something that is totally out of character. It can be contrasting but not out of character. And I did make notes during John's that maybe we could find these in the code or look at uh, clarifying some of these designs to say this is the types of compatibility that would be acceptable. I just think, I think sometimes about the museum, the building where I work, Maritime Museum, which I don't, I don't know how, I mean, with the, with the sweeping roof, it's so radically different from anything else in town. I don't know if that, if that building were proposed to be built today, would it be, could you construe that as being compatible with nearby historic buildings or? With the existing winds, it would be hard, however, or it would be easier because of the existing winds today. But when that one came through, they were um, touting the design because it looked like a wave. And so there are ways to look at new construction that is not the same or as existing. So there's ways to look at that. Some of the other, the, um, pavilion for the hospital. They pulled on some of the designs or elements of the armory, the arched roof and some of that. So it's a modern building, but it just pulled on some of those elements. The Maritime Museum would be an interesting one, but they did go through design review, but they went on that concept of a wave on the water. Yeah, I'll say the thing, I don't want to <coughs> geek out on historic preservation theory too much, but I'll say that at least the, the best example that I can give of integrating new modern construction with historic buildings, if you look at the Louvre in Paris, you've got a glass pyramid in the middle of the courtyard of a very provincial French building. Um, we've had some of those dialogues at our Landmarks Commission before. There was actually a glass cube that was approved to be on top of the Banker Suite building. Um, it was never built. Um, but when the design first came to the Landmarks Commission, it was um, using dry-bit stucco and, and a very, I'm going to call it a mimicking type of design, and the Landmarks Commission denied it. They came back with a more modern approach, um, and the Landmarks Commission approved it. And ultimately, it was never built, but it was, it was a very interesting case study to see here in Astoria. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Mr. Ray, in the wake of our last meeting, 
uh, when we started the ball rolling at least on the concept of a, a 28 foot height limitation along the riverfront. Uh, I asked to meet with uh, uh, planner Rosemary Johnson and the city manager Brett Estes to, to talk about the details um, and to call on their expertise. The goal, as, as I hope I made clear at the last meeting, is to protect our waterfront from harm, to maintain the character of our waterfront, this thing that defines us as a, the community that we are, this um, beautiful park-like riverfront that we now have. But at the same time, allowing flexibility for the historians who own property along the riverfront. And so I wanted to talk to Rosemary and the Fred to get their ideas about how we can best navigate that. Zoning is a complicated thing. It is a very careful path that you walk in trying to make things fair to everybody. And I thought uh, I thought we got some good ideas from uh, Ms. Johnson at that meeting. And I wonder, Rosemary, if you have enough voice left to talk a little bit about about some of the things we might consider. Okay, what we had discussed was the concerns with some of the private property owners and the development that they have and how all of this is going to impact them. And um, I'll use one example of a specific business which uh, could benefit from some exceptions to the code while not breaking with the intent. Uh, one of them would be fish hawk fisheries. Um, they have two lots. They have the bonded warehouse, which you saw many pictures of, and then he has fish off fisheries on the second lot. One of them is up near the land, the other one is further out in the water. His buildings, if you look at the width, take up about 90% of his lot. With this new code, he would be limited to 60%, and so he would have to bring in and have very little area that he could build on. Um, with that existing buildings. Now since there's an existing facility, and this would apply to other businesses too, one thought could be that the existing buildings could infill at the same width that they are because it's not going to create a larger impact. So that way he would have, or other businesses similar, would have the ability to keep that 90% and infill that area that is open right now, which still isn't a view quarter because he has a building front and back. Um, so that would be one thing that would help a few, a couple of the uh, riverfront property owners. And the other would be that we have the draft says they could go, they're limited to 28 feet, but they could go to 35 if they use those uh, less than 60%. One of the other things we could look at is adding another exception there that they could go 35 feet, uh, not just the 28, if it was water dependent related, such as an ice house for fish processing. This is the waterfront area, the working waterfront, so we might be able to get a few of those property owners to be able to continue utilizing these waterfront properties while not making it uh, an exception throughout the entire area for any new development. Uh, so this would be for existing. The other is a couple of the property owners uh, have expressed interest to have one or two residential units above their properties. Uh, many of them, it's the existing uh, facility and they just want to convert it to their own apartment or something. Um, that would be another exception that you could put in and say existing buildings only would have a maximum of one or two units above, but only when it's buildings existing as of 
a certain date. Um, another thing when we're looking at the heights and the mass of buildings, you need to think of the use of the buildings. And if we're trying to downsize these buildings to prohibit large hotels from coming in, another thing would be to prohibit hotels north of Marine Drive, which would stop a lot of the larger buildings in these areas. Uh, the 30,000 square feet we found still gives a big building there, but uh, if you prohibit a hotel, it might reduce some of that uh, for some of these property owners. So these are some areas. Another one, um, we have a situation with the state office building, which is another one that we've received a letter on. And state office building wants to expand, but they're already at 30,000 square feet. If they can't expand there, they may likely leave the area and go to Warrington or some other area and to try to keep those state offices and services in our downtown fringe um, that may need an exception to that 30,000 square feet. So we could write a, an exception that says public use buildings could build extensions beyond the 30,000 square feet, but meeting all the other design criteria, the height, setbacks, stepbacks, all of that, but let them exceed the 30,000 square feet. It may only impact one or two buildings. You know, and I'll, I'm just for mayor, if I could, you know, with that, you know, these are just ideas which Ms. Johnson came up with. Way, but <laughs> the thing is, they have not been vetted with the city attorney or anything like that. So these yeah. are all kind of just ideas at this point. So. Yeah. yeah, and it was just to throw out because of the concerns that uh, uh, Councilman Rock uh, expressed and the concerns we've heard from some other private property owners. So while balancing the private property rights and the citizens' desires, these were just thoughts that I came up with that might address some of their needs. This well, me is awfully good thoughts, actually. Yeah. And she, she uh, members of her came up with some great ideas, and as did Brett. And I, I just, I guess, I would say additionally, I, I agree 100 percent with John and his idea of a working waterfront. And I got here early enough to experience some of that, and and the, and the interest, the fascination of some of that. Um, and I'm hard pressed to think how uh, how a hotel or a condo adds to the working waterfront feel. It, it has nothing to do with that, with that kind of concept. We also have some other uses if we talk about prohibiting things, uh, at least in the overlay, that are, C, are permitted in C3 zones like a commercial uh, laundry, a commercial dry cleaners. And it would seem a terrible shame to waste a piece of our riverfront for a use like that. That's a great use, but it doesn't belong there. So I think those are the kinds of things that we that we still need to consider on top of what we've already talked about. Well, I uh, commend you, Councillor Rockman, for uh, reaching out to uh, Mr. Estes and Ms. Johnson trying to help out our local uh, property owners. And I, I think it's absolutely the right thing to do is try to be accommodating towards people that have, you know, a long time been local property owners, especially with uh, waterfront-related businesses like, uh, like Fishhawk. And I, I mean, I think those are good ideas. I have a question about the state building. It, it, how are they looking to expand uh, vertically or horizontally? Uh, because of the height limitations, uh, and they go from 
property line to property line, it would be coming closer to uh, Marine Drive, so filling in their parking lot. They have more than what's required in the parking because the state requ uh, requires additional parking and therefore they lease the large parking lot next to Burger King from the same property owner as their building. And so they have ample parking. What they would do is just probably fill in that parking area with uh, some additional building. But they would still be limited to the height. And you know, I, I would not have a problem with allowing them a larger footprint, A, because I think it's important to keep those services, not just the jobs, but the services offered through those jobs in the community. And also, frankly, from the standpoint of protecting river views, you know, pulling that building forward towards Marine Drive doesn't diminish the river views by much, uh, by much at all. I mean, the, the building already blocks a significant portion of the view. If you pull it towards you, it's just a different look, the same blockage. I do have a question for you, Rosemary. I just want to make sure I understood something you said. So if these um, amendments were adopted as you presented, would Fishhawk Fisheries be required to shrink its footprint? No, they, okay. you're not required to reduce what you have existing. That's grandfathered in. It's okay. if you want to do any uh, addition or alteration, then these new codes kick in. So any portion that he would build new would have to meet that 60%. And okay. So it would start getting a little hard for development there. Okay. I agree with what uh, my fellow counselors have said, that it makes sense to allow some sort of different uh, standard for a marine-related business. It is the waterfront, after all. Um, so that, to me, seems like an easy decision. Um, as far as the state office building, I would hate to lose them downtown. Well, they're not exactly downtown, but I'm sure they're, you know, filling up restaurants at lunchtime and after work. And yeah, I mean, it makes sense for them to be in Astoria where the uh, population base is anyway. So. The, the, the availability to the, the customers is the big right, key. Right, exactly. My, we have received some comments, written comments, regarding parking availability. And I don't know if um, the Planning Commission was charged with addressing that or if that's too specific at this point. Right, that was the next item I was going to mention was uh, the parking is very tight down, uh, in certain areas. However, the Downtown Association has just recently conducted their parking survey. Those results will be out shortly. Uh, I believe the report is done and they're working on getting it public. But um, we need to address some parking. Watching your uses in the downtown area and some of these allowances for parking lots behind the building rather than in front uh, allows for some of the new parking. But the downtown commercial zone does not require off-street parking because your buildings in your downtown is an urban development with buildings filling the entire lot. You know, you don't have many parking lots. Um, I believe the Downtown Association study will come up with some ideas there. I'm not sure what all is said in that one yet. I, yeah, I was it. thinking more along the lines of um, waterfront hotels and, and stop me, city manager, if I'm getting off track here, but 
Um, my understanding is that the Fairfield Inn is not required to provide parking for its employees. Okay, when we do the calculations for parking, they include consideration for employees. And so when we say they need one space per room, there's very few times when you have 100% occupancy. And so if you have a restaurant, it's a required to have one space per 250 square feet. That is taken into consideration not only the, um, the, the visitors or the clients, but it's also a calculation that considers the employee. However, they can't allow more than 50% of their employees to park within the lot. So most of the businesses prohibit their employees from parking in the lots because they want their customers there. That's a business decision, but we could amend the code to say they have to allow a certain percentage for their employees if they have a lot. I mean, these are all yeah. things what that I, we What I would say is, is that typically, so we updated our parking ratios when we updated our transportation system plan. Um, and what we uh, used um, were uh, industry standards which are developed uh, through research which is done um, looking at these types of uses. So there are nationwide um, standards. standards and calculations that are recommended as best practices for communities. And so that's what, um, you know, that's what we have used when we updated our parking requirements about, it's been now like five or six years ago when we, when we updated those. Yeah. And the national standards, a lot of times we have, we require more all street parking than what most uh, cities or transportation areas are recommending right now, because they're recommending more bicycle and tr public transportation, but in this area with weather and the lack of very regular bus service, you know, we need to provide more all street parking. Okay, just one more question. So let's say when a waterfront hotel is filled, let's say regatta weekend, mm -hmm. um, it's all maxed out to the gills with guests. Is there parking that they have to provide for their employees? If, if they have one space per room and they are maxed out, um, generally it's one space per room plus one for the manager. Um, so they have technically one space for an employee. So they're most, employees. Right, yeah, most hotels uh, usually have one, two, or maximum three, except during when they're uh, cleaning the rooms. And that's when the guests aren't there. So okay. and typically whenever they, these industry standards, what they typically look at is um, not every room is going to be filled with somebody who has a car. And so in most cases, you know, there'll be, it, um, it could be tight, sometimes but in those best practices it works out close and maybe there's a little bit of on-street parking that over you know that overflows okay but that's that's how those ratios come come to be developed and if it's in the downtown core we have a parking district which says that employees cannot park in that district except on private lots so if it's in a in the early core the downtown then that employee if there's not enough room has to go outside the district to park. Thank you for your hard work, Rosemary, <laughs> and for the planning commissions as well. I had uh, a couple kind of, I'm glad Joni brought up parking because again, we were provided with a lot of feedback um, from, from constituents around 
the parking concern. I guess I would want to ask about, I have two questions around housing. Um, would, would people building housing units um, be required to provide parking in those types of uh, new construction? Uh, if you're in the C4 downtown core between 7 and 16, uh -huh. you, the code says no all street parking required okay. unless you're a conditional use permit. If your use is uh, being reviewed as a conditional use, that's one of the considerations. So what we do, even though all street parking is not required in the downtown, we look at the impact of that conditional use to the area and then can require in the situation of a drift hotel which is going into the fish processing mm -hmm. um, they were reviewed as a conditional use permit and they're going to have a 40 room uh, hotel inside an existing building we've required that they provide 30 off-street parking spaces we didn't go to the full max because no off-street parking is required downtown, but we did require the 30 um, off-street parking. So let me, let me kind of go a little bit further with that, just to provide context. In the same uh, zoning district that's proposed here, the Merwin Hotel next door is proposed. There is no parking on that lot at all. When they went before the Planning Commission uh, and got their conditional use permit for that use, um, there are uh, a few planning uh, parking spaces which are required to be um, established for that, um, but by no means uh, is, it, is it close to meeting the parking requirement. Um, and, and so, uh, same thing with the uh, Astor Hotel. Um, they don't, um, they have a parking lot on their uh, property but they don't meet um, what would be a typical parking requirement uh, for a standard zoning district. Thank you. And Rosemary, I also want to thank you for uh, especially your discussion with Roger um, because I think it's a really good example of some of the so potential solutions or amendments that come, can come out of these types of discussions from someone who understands um, I mean, the zones that we're talking about really well and code, as well as businesses that are already in place, as well as concerns from the community uh, about how we approach um, things from all of these different directions. The last question that I had, and I apologize because we did go over this, but in, in the uses being proposed um, now, there was a mention of housing over commercial, so single story commercial, and then one to two stories of okay. housing. The, um, the one of them references um, single or two family dwellings are not allowed as standalone. Okay. Uh, currently, the zone does allow above the first floor or below, so you could have an apartment in the basement. And we, uh, the C3 zone, the general commercial, we allow it behind a commercial. So you could have a hairdresser in the front who has her apartment behind it. Okay. And what we're doing is for the urban core area, we're adding that behind. <coughs> so it leaves your storefronts, but above, below, or behind, you could have residential use. 
that's to help with the housing situation. Okay, and that could be anything from affordable housing to very expensive. Okay, thank you. Yeah, a lot of our downtown businesses right now, the second floor is residential in a lot of them. Yeah. Wonderful, thank you so mm -hmm. much. You're welcome. Uh, I just would add one more thing, uh, Mr. Mayor, I think. Um, I think I'm more encouraged than I ever have been that we can do this, mm -hmm. that we actually can respond to what the citizens of this community have been asking for for decades and still not only allow but encourage the kind of development that will benefit our community. And so that's the aim and I, and I think we can do it. Yeah, I'm not going to add anything to this. I think it's been a really good discussion. I think a lot of good points have been brought up. Um, I think these are all pertinent. And I think that the, uh, it sounds like the Planning Commission are being very sensitive to all these issues as well. Um, so I will continue to let everybody work at this, and I will continue to look at what we have in front of us and examine it and uh, continue to have discussions with the public as well as what's been brought forward so far. Um, I, my, because my main concern about the urban core is re really about what's been talked about here, the balance between what we have heard from the public, what they expect of our riverfront, and, and also respecting the business owners, because, you know, they, they've invested in this property, um, they have expectations, and we could cause damage to their expectations. We have to be sensitive to that. So a uh, win-win is always uh, what we look, should be looking for. So I hope we accomplish this. And I, I think we're, people are working in the right direction. Um, and uh, the fewer conversations I have about parking downtown, the better. <laughs> Please wait until we have a parking study. And, um, you know, it, anything we do down there is going to cause, and, and if we put people uh, in businesses or whatever down there, it's going to impact parking. And, and we have our limitations. We, we, we just have to work with it as best we can, um, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, good work. Thank you. You're welcome. So at this point, I'll open it up for public comment, and then we'll come back for final council comments and, and make sure that we give staff the, the uh, the guidance that uh, is needed. So your hand was up first. When you come up, it'll uh, be three minutes. And please state your name and address. And uh, thank you. Good evening. Uh, my name is Stuart Emmons. I'm uh, from Portland, Oregon, uh, 2336 uh, Southwest Osage. Um, I lived in Astoria uh, from 1977 to 1981. Um, then I left and went to architecture school on the East Coast, came back, I've been in Portland. Um, I've um, been coming to Historia on the North Coast uh, almost every weekend for um, about a decade. Um, I, this is almost a second home to me. Um, I was here in my early 20s and, and uh, I have a wood shop. Um, I, uh, I designed uh, several large-scale uh, waterfront projects in Portland, uh, obviously a very different scale than Astoria, and I have a lot of lessons learned from that. Um, I did South Waterfront, that turned out to be a disaster. Uh, I think the plan we had uh, was, uh, was um, 
a much more active uh, area. Uh, we went on a brownfield site, and what ended up happening was something that was, uh, you know, as far below what uh, we had uh, envisioned. And I also designed the downtown waterfront uh, in Portland, um, and very different conditions. We had historic buildings. We had a lot of ownership issues that were holding us back. So um, I, uh, I've been also, so back to Astoria, I've been noticing the hotels, some of these chain hotels going up. And um, so I'll take this at the Holiday Inn Express over by the bridge right now. And I just walked past that again uh, yesterday. And I hope we, uh, you know, we don't just build something that's just a total reaction to those hotels because I understand you know, that was brought in from where it was designed in Omaha, Nebraska, with all due respect to Omaha. The ground floor was, is just rooms, it's just dead on the, it doesn't do anything to the waterfront. Design has nothing to do with Astoria. And um, so, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that, I, I want to try to encourage everybody to don't stifle great architecture. I think Astoria needs great architecture and not, not projects like this, and you can't only do it with zoning code. <coughs> When we were doing South Waterfront, we got too caught up into the numbers. We had a retail plan and a way to activate the streets that didn't occur, but the dimensions, the five foot, oh, we got the width and the percentage on the, on the lot down, but, what, but the end result didn't uh, achieve the goals. So it's not just dimensions of buildings, it's also the program and what your vision is for, that, for the waterfront. If you want to activate the waterfront, I wouldn't, I would, you know, try to get some wiggle room in there so architects and planners and, uh, are free to work. And also it's got to be economically viable. You know, if you have a two, one, set, one uh, floor of housing over, I mean, it's just not going to pencil. So you've got, when we were doing our planning projects, we were always looking at economic models too, to, to, because we wanted things to happen. And uh, that was our, our goal. Thank you. Thank you. For the record, I'm Steve Fick, um, PO Box over in 5 Astoria. I appreciate the conversation about my concerns tonight. Uh, I'd like to add some things to it. Um, we need to not put ourselves into a box. I've said this before. If we were restricted to 28 feet, you wouldn't have a Maritime Museum, you wouldn't have the Flavel House, you wouldn't have the Cannery Hotel, and we wouldn't be here. More than 28 feet. So when you start restricting things, not necessarily uh, that that positive. I mean, I don't want to see the whole the whole waterfront built up. But when you really look at it, there's so much of this plate area is never going to be developed. Second Street, not going to in front of uh, uh, the the uh, condos downstream from me. Upstream for me, never going to be developed in the in the oil where the uh, fuel docks are. Uh, you've got other other facilities that are already uh, built up, and the only thing with some of these uh, recommendations, like Bowie Beer, if they burn down, they can build the 60% of their or where they are now, where they're 100% foot footprint on their dock. To take over 50% of my building area away, I 
don't think that's really fair. I've been here my whole life. Um, you know, usually zoning requests come from the property owner. And I, I keep wondering, how is this making things better for me? And I've always tried to be somebody, you put yourselves in my shoes. How do you think I feel right now? I've, I built the business. Nobody gave it to me. I wrote, you know, never had any government money on it. And I just want to keep my options open so that I can sustain it. And some of this is going to have to be flexibility. And you got to have a little faith in the people like myself that walk the waterfront 300 days of the year. That we don't want to screw it up. But I got, you know, when I've got piling that are driven for $2,500 a piece and you got 500 of them, you got to make some money, <laughs> you know. And that is flexibility and that's, I got to be, have some ingenuity to, to be able to do that. Um, the, uh, the other thing is, you know, I, I feel I should have the same rights as the downtown housing, at the very least. And I think there should, I don't want to build a hotel, but I don't think it should just arbitrarily be taken away from me. You know, we talked, there was comments made just on certain aspects of the plan, no sliding doors. I got sliding doors on that brick building. Everybody thinks those are cool. I mean, they really like those sliding doors. No sliding doors is an example. Um, and the other thing, even like with these hotels, you think of the traffic flows. Go count the traffic flow at Burger King versus if you had 50 people coming and going once a day on some other facility, or if it's an office or whatever. And the dental and the, the, the medical is important. Sometimes it's pretty good if somebody can look out in the river while they're getting drilled on, it's not so stressful. We're talking about moving wires from the chemo center, from the cancer center over here, so it's more pleasurable, not pleasurable, poor word, more comfortable for those patients. So just don't, it's got to be this way or that way. I think we need to be engaged more with us that are the, the waterfront, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. I'm uh, Martin Liu, long-time resident here, born and raised here, still work here. Uh, <clears throat> John Goodenberger's photo of where the Chinese warehouse is, or bunkhouse was, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, where warehouse number two is at Estuary Warehousing, that's the property where that was at. Um, I'm here representing Estuary Warehousing, which is currently up for sale. Um, but the owners asked me to present this letter to, uh, so it gets on the record. Um, Estuary Warehousing Inc., known as AWI, is the owner of a real property located at 70 West Marine Drive in Astoria, Oregon, having property tax account number 21975-5895-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21976-21
to 2nd Street. AWI would like an opportunity to sit down with the city officials to further discuss the important elements. And so, should I give it to Blair? Give it to me. Give it to you, Blair. Yeah. Um, anyway, just so you know, too, the, there are signs on the building now because of commercial real estate companies handle them. Thank you. Good evening, Councillors. Uh, my name is Jim Knight. I'm the Executive Director of the Board of Astoria. My address is number 10, Pier 1 building. Um, I appreciate this opportunity to come speak. I've been wrestling with these comments for several weeks, uh, thinking of the implications of the imposition of restrictive rules that would prohibit expanding port properties uh, to the point that the, the work that the port does. Port creates businesses, it creates job opportunities. I couldn't tell you what the businesses are that are going to be coming in the next year or two years or five years or 10 years. But with the waterfront and a port being a part of the waterfront, it certainly is expected that we would want to have businesses that create good, high paying jobs for our community. While still preserving the character of our community as we love it as it is today. My concerns about these restrictive uh, potential uh, regulations to be imposed on the port property, which happens to be the largest property owner along the waterfront. So I've been thinking, what is it that we can do as a community? What is it that we can do as a port? What can, is it that we can do as a city in order to preserve our heritage, preserve our character, yet still have the optimum ability to create new jobs for folks that want to live here? There are many communities in the United States and around the world where port districts work collaboratively with their own city and their own communities as how should we look. I think this is an important component that's missing out of this process. There has not been any engagement between the city and the port over the use of its properties other than the process that we've discussed this evening. So I'm certainly participating in the urban town, urban town renewal portion of, of our city. But the imposition starting out of the gate of imposing rules that would restrict construction to 28 feet and with it, it seems to be a move to even to restrict the footprints of cities that's going to imperil the port's ability to create the very jobs that we see and the very development that we want to have. If you look at the models uh, that are available between the cities of Seattle and San Francisco and San Diego, you'll find very good relationships between the city and the port district. We have been blessed, I would say, within the last four to five years of having a good relationship between our two entities. I don't want that to, I don't want that to end. I want it to expand. I want it to be visionary for our future of what our waterfront will look like. There has to be a balance between the development of port properties, which are substantial, and the needs of the community to preserve view corridors and quality of life. How do we find those things to, to melt? I would encourage us as two entities, the city and the port, its councilors and its commissioners to come together to have some discussion about how can we find ways amongst us to preserve what we have and to help the port become a, a robust entity that helps our community to become more beautiful, to be more energetic, to be more appealing. Uh, all of the good things that we want to have in our community. 
So I would just like to take this opportunity this evening to encourage you as counselors to reach out to the Ports Commission to try to find ways in which we can engage in conversation to address these very difficult but ultimately very rewarding decisions. So, thank you very much for my opportunity. Thank you, Mr. Knight. And we look forward to uh, meeting with you at a, a soon upcoming uh, work session to start that discussion. Small-scale housing that uh, could still provide 
something interesting to look at and to uh, engage in without just uh, summarily rejecting all housing. Thank you. Thank you. tonight to wipe my tears from those last speakers but uh, you know there's a lot of property owners in this city and uh, maybe they don't own land down on the waterfront but we live in this city and what's done down on the waterfront impacts the entire city so what gets built down there does matter to me and I have a right to be at the table, too, with Mr. Fick and Mr. Tabuco and all of them. Because when big hotels get built down there, like the one that two of you approved uh, during the last city council in December, that's going to bring just a lot more activity into this town that impacts all our infrastructure here. And it affects all of us as property owners to pay taxes to keep that infrastructure in shape. We already have a clogged up town during the summer months. And it's going to impact businesses here. Decent businesses that are running right now. This place could potentially ruin its reputation if we allow just the flexibility that some of these speakers have talked about. I wouldn't give them flexibility. That was the problem with having the Fairfield approved. Too much flexibility in the rules. We need to be definite. We need to set height restrictions and we need to make them very strong. And I don't particularly like going to 35 feet with a, set, with a step back. The step back thing's phony should be 28 feet max, and that's it. Step backs, forget it. Forget housing built out over the water. It's not a good idea. It's a tsunami zone. You're just going to build yourself a death trap out there for a lot of residents. Build stuff out there that doesn't matter if it gets hit by a tsunami. Move our infrastructure, our important facilities, out of the tsunami zone leave the riverfront as a riverfront river that's the key word river not buildings not factories not hotels with no parking not all these ideas they're all bad ideas and we need to have strong codes that prevent stupid building plans thank you Anyone else? Okay, back to the council for further discussion. Just in case you have questions. <laughs> well, overall, I think you've uh, done a 
marvelous job of capturing the work of the Planning Commission, and I really appreciate it. And uh, I, I would echo again my comments that Mr. Roca's work with you and Mr. Estes to come up with some flexibilities for existing property owners like Mr. Thick. I would commend that, and I support those flexibilities that you've uh, that you've suggested could possibly work. Mr. Estes, for comment from council. Yes, please. I, I would just say I, I appreciate the input that we that we got from you guys, and we're talking to some of the good guys in town. My problem is that if we are completely open. For the good guys, there are bad guys too. With a fistful of money, you can come in and buy some property and do something we don't want. So I agree with the dialogue together that we need to talk and figure out what a path is through that that, that becomes that win-win situation. But just to say do nothing puts us in a position where we have no control over what happens on our waterfront. And I don't think the majority of the citizens of this town are willing to stand for that. And I, I value and, and appreciate your interests down there. And I want to do what we can to find that thing that works for both of us. And I'd like to have the kind of dialogue we're working toward that direction. And Jim, I appreciate your comments about the port. But of all the things that you said about the port and, uh, and its needs for development, I don't think a hotel was mentioned in any of those, and yet that's one of the threats for what the port might be thinking of doing. And that's not a water-related use, and it's, it doesn't fit with those other things you said. So I think we need to have an honest conversation about that. And I appreciate you coming in and standing up for, for what you believe in, and I hope you appreciate that I'm standing up for what I think the people I am elected to represent want me to do. So, thank you. I've got some comments. I wouldn't be coherent. Um, I appreciate everything that's been said tonight. Um, I, I think we all know one of the main reasons that Astoria, at least I think we all know Astoria, is having the resurgence that it is today is because of our river. It, we live in this stunning location arguably the most beautiful place on earth, or as beautiful as any. And putting up a wall of hotels along the waterfront is not going to help us, nor is it going to bring living wage jobs. Um, I support, I'm much more willing to be flexible around specific marine-related uses, because that's arguably what the waterfront is for, or one of the things it is for, and I want to, piggyback on what uh, Mr. Farrar said um, regarding property owners' rights. There are a lot of property owners in town. Most of us don't have several million dollars to own waterfront land, but we own property and we care about the waterfront, we care about our views, and we care about having that land be accessible for future generations, and once it's built up, it's gone. So we need specific Restrictions. It is going to hurt some property owners. You're exactly right. So, I think in the long run, it's going to be the best for our community. That's all I have to say. I would also, 
um, like to echo what Joan and Roger brought up, and I, I no way, shape, or form want uh, current property owners to think that that negates any kind of openness that the council might have in having a conversation with you guys, because um, I do think that that is at the forefront of our concerns. I know it certainly came up in the goal planning discussions that we had, and trying to look at what uh, our overall vision is for Astoria. Um, we definitely don't want to leave anybody out of that conversation, especially people who have been good to the community and industry here. I think what we're worried about, uh, again, like what Joan said, is development along a resource that we would like to keep shared with community. Um, I think that it would be negatively impacting Astoria and uh, even potential development here to not be considerate and very careful in development along the Riverwalk. It's interesting because my great-great-uncle is Oswald West, um, the former governor of Oregon that had a lot to do with uh, the reason why our beaches have not been privatized. Um, and it's not that I don't think that the, the Riverwalk can be um, privately owned, but I'm thinking about him as I'm sitting up here right now in wanting to, um, again, keep the river accessible to our community. That is so important, even as an economic asset. Um, and I do agree with Chris in the sense that flexibility is part of what uh, got us, I don't want to say into trouble because of course it depends on who you ask, but um, the flexibility in the current code um, which allowed for the 45-foot hotel to be uh, essentially approved. So Rosemary and her team have worked really hard to kind of clean up a lot of that code, um, to make it more defined, to make it more clear. Um, a lot of this type of discussion wasn't happening when that code was developed. So we're, we, again, we're trying to clean it up and refine it, which I think is really important. But again, we don't want to think that current property owners are excluded from that. And I, that's why I think you brought up some really good potential um, solutions and working with each one of you on a, on a conditional, therefore flexible basis. So, um, I think that's what I would like to say. Well, this is going to be fun. <laughs> um, I just want to say that uh, I, I'm in full support of what we're doing in looking at development on the waterfront. And it's been said very clearly many times about uh, you know, the need to respect our waterfront, etc. Um, I still kind of wonder where all the hotels are coming from and where they're all going to go. There just isn't much space to develop out down there. You put a build, if you don't like a building up along the waterfront, then we have to say no buildings. I'm not for another hotel, per se. I'm, as far as I'm concerned, I'm done with hotels. And I, I actually didn't hear any uh, for the Urban Corps, which is what this was actually about, um, that 
the proposal is not to allow any hotels along the riverfront, certainly not over water and, um, and adjacent, with the exception of some existing hotel or motel, and if it burns down, then you can put another one there. And I think the only one we've got there is the adrift potent that's coming in. So, I mean, that, that's a rule that's being applied specifically for their benefit uh, in this particular case, because we're saying we're not going to allow hotels. So I think this hotel discussion is, is really a red herring. I'm really interested in what people really don't want, and is that we really don't want buildings there so that we can have the highway of a beach, you know, not being built on. I'm, I'm just looking, I want to, through this process, I'm looking for clarity on that. I think it is important that, uh, despite what Chris says there, that this is the first time I have heard business owners come in front of this council in the last two years to express their concerns. And I think they have the right to do that. And they should have been here at the table sooner. And I think that we need to have a discussion with them in front of me. I know you're, you're out there in previous councils and, and processes. Um, flexibility, the, the previous code wasn't flexible. It was written. It's what was written. And if we don't want that, if we want, I mean, I, 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 I need, it's going to take me some time to really totally wrap my head around what I think, from what I hear, will be the best direction to go. Um, and and I'm, I'm not sure if I can totally agree with you, Joan, uh, or Roger, um, on this. I, there's got to be a clean way to, to get to where we want to go. Um, and it's not, but I've got to tell you, as far as I can see, it's not going to satisfy everybody. There are going to be people that are going to be upset, and we'll have another proposed something, and somebody will object to it, and it will come before us again, and we'll have to make a decision and not make people happy again. That's just the way it goes. So it's really a matter of perspective. Um, so I, I look forward to the ongoing discussion and the debate, and I hope that we have an opportunity for the uh, people, business owners to uh, go ahead and make their case. I want to hear their case. I don't want to ignore it. So again, Chris, I think we need, everybody's been making their case out here since I've been on this council, since this has all come up, and it's been one-sided. So I think that we need to hear uh, from business owners, and boy, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try and dig into the constituents around this town, and I want to hear as many voices as I can, not just the few that show up all the time. So um, by the time we get done with this, I think some good work will be done. I think people will uh, be pretty satisfied with the product, because I hear flexibility. Sometimes I don't hear flexibility. <laughs> well, but you know, it's 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 just a matter of just trying to hear everybody's specific, specificity. It's right. Yeah. yeah, flexibility was a word that was actually used by a planning commission member in talking about how that was allowed. Um, and maybe interpretation of right. the code was a better way of putting it. 
Yeah, and I, and I think you know, and I, and I think that in, in, in developing the code, if there are ways that um, you know we, we can have fifty foot height limit, but give the ability to somebody to present their case for a, a thirty five foot, and let's see what they got. Yeah. Let's have that opportunity. Let's have that discussion. And it might it might work. I don't want to close the door, that's all. I just don't want to close the door to a good idea. If it's not a good idea, if the community doesn't like it, if we don't like it, and we have a process that allows us to do that on those occasions that it come up, comes up, that's all I'm really looking for. Well, I think for me, that's specifically with existing property owners, because I think a lot of the fear is uh, new development coming in. So the people that have made their case here tonight I mean, that's why I think that the discussion between Rosemary and Roger was so useful because I think that some potentially good solutions came out of that that are specific to the properties that were being discussed instead of just making kind of a sweeping argument. I mean, I do think some outright uses, absolutely not. And I think that uh, the hotels over the water and those kinds of things, those, we have a consensus in general to say no to those types of things and that's what Rosemary's presentation reflected um, but again with current property owners I mean there are just there's percentages and things that just don't work and so having those types of discussions and treating those on a conditional basis is something that I would I am open to um, I don't want to interrupt go ahead oh. Well, business owners have not been excluded from these meetings, and I know you weren't saying that, but um, that's important. Um, so they're welcome to come and speak and have their three minutes like everyone else. Right. And here they are, and I want that to continue to happen. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and I guess I remember my other thought. It's getting late, sorry. Um, the Planning Commission has held several hearings now, I believe, accepting public comment. So there have been plenty of opportunities for people to come and voice their position. And I think a lot of these recommendations are based on what they've heard. I would just add, uh, Tom, the first thing that I did after we talked about this at the last meeting was go and talk to Steve Fick, who I consider a friend, and I hope when this is all over, he still considers me one. Um, what I don't want is for us to be in the, in the position that I feel that we were in as a council. I say we, even though three of us weren't on the council, in considering the, uh, um, the hotel for the second street. Because I don't think the thing that you're at, that you're wanting, was present there, and that was the ability of the city council to decide something based on what was good for the community. I think because of the existing zoning that, you know, it, it, was, it, was being, it was being boxed in on the other side. It was being boxed in in the other way, uh, as opposed to the property owners being boxed in. That was a case where the council was boxed in and couldn't really have an effect on, on having the community that, that our community wants to be. And so that's, I still, I still think this is doable. And there's a way to walk that path between the interests of the various parties and come up with something that at the end everybody will say, oh, that's, that's pretty good. 
And that's that's what I hope we can strike for. No, I agree. Mayor, if I if I could real quick, there was one thing that Council Brownson said, I want to make sure it's clarified by, by Ms. Johnson with regards to where hotels would or would not be uh, permitted or where they would be prohibited. And over the water in the urban core area, they are prohibited on land. Um, I believe that they were still Okay. Yeah, well, I, I'm pretty much sure that's where I yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just want to that's where the planning commission had landed on that right. topic. They they moved it to the conditional use rather right. than outright right. use right. on right. land. Right. And it had to have um, parking on the interior of the site screened from the building. So they were requiring so parking the, for there themselves. Was a, there was a, another process, I mean, a yeah. conditional use process on land, but that one could still be constructed on land. So I just make sure that was the Yeah, thing. again, I'm looking forward to spend, being able to spend more time to go over all of this, too. Yeah. yeah, I guess the only comment I would add, you know, uh, Council Herman had said at the beginning of the meeting that one thing she liked is the council, uh, we all have the good, the good intentions, and it's the same level of love for the community, but our ideas about maybe some of the specifics are different, but it's motivated by the same good intentions. And you know, in terms of loving the waterfront and want to protect the, the waterfront, um, I think we all, we all have it. It, it. Slightly different ideas about how to do that. For me, what makes the town so beautiful and remarkable and unique and made me want to stay here, it's the mixture of you know, miles of virtually wide open uh, waterfront that we have in both the Civic Greenway and the Neighborhood Greenway and then in selected slices of the urban core and the, and the Bridge Vista Overlay Zone, but primarily in the, in the Civic Greenway and the Neighborhood Greenway area. And also areas where you're, you're walking you know, on the river trail and you've got the, uh, the, the former wet dog on your left and then buildings, uh, the old uh, buildings that now have different uses on, on the right side. In some places you don't see the the water at all until you get to the the next block, and then you look through your street in, and you see the you see the river through. As John mentioned, the 14th Street, you know, where you've got the pilot station out there that blocks a lot of the river view, and yet you can walk out there at the street end, and then have this marvelous view and see the pilot boat come into the pilot station and drop off the river pilots. And to me, it's that uh, that mixture of some places where it's just a mile of wide open, never going to be developed, and the urban, you know, the urban core. I mean, it's we call it the urban core for a reason. It's downtown. It's, this is a city. I don't want the whole waterfront to be a state park. I, I don't want Astoria to be a state park. I want it to be a, a city with miles of beautiful, wide open spaces, but also developed areas, especially in the urban core, where it's you know it's a downtown, it's a city, but it's also got at every street and you can walk out and stand by a railing and look at the river and watch the ships go by. To me, that balance makes us more beautiful than if it was just completely, um, you know, open with no buildings anywhere along the waterfront. That, and, and that's what the Riverfront Vision Plan said. I mean, if you look at the urban core, you know, promote the urban character of the area through a dense level of development, allow for a mix of commercial, residential, and water-dependent uses, um, create intimate open spaces and gathering places within new developments. Set balance. So that's that's what I love about our community is that we have you know of our five and a half miles of, of river waterfront, most of it's not developed and won't be developed. 
and yet you have places where you can, you know, whether it's a uh, this new uh, Adrift Hotel that will be built, or whether it's Bowie Beer or the Fisher Brothers building, you, you know, the state the state building. You know, you can go in to see, get your services at the state office building, and if you have the opportunity while you're waiting for the person to wait on you, you look out the window and see the and see the river. So that's, I think that balance is very important, but. To provide guidance to Rosemary to go back, I mean, generally speaking, you know, I'm in concurrence with the recommendations that came forward. I've discussed that I favor the flexibilities that you that you brought to the table. Um, and what other guidance specifically the staff need for tonight? I would just say if there was something that was a um, that you heard, which um, you feel that would be a non-starter, uh, if there was some direction there to be able to provide that guidance to the planning commission, um, you know, would, would be feedback. You know, this is not, the council's only by the apple, this is just a check-in throughout, uh, throughout the process. And since we don't have a draft yet for you to look at, uh, just offer, we could send the uh, PowerPoint presentation to you as a reminder of some of the restrictions so that you have time to mull it over if you'd like. I was going to ask if this is available to share with the public. Yes, we'll post this on the okay. uh, the website along with all the urban core materials. Okay. I'm wondering if we also have a, a summary of the ideas you presented afterwards because okay. those would be useful to us. Okay. Thank you, Ms. Johnson. Uh, item eight on the agenda is new business. Uh, do we have any new business in council? If not, we'll open for public comment on any general topic other than the topic we just concluded. Uh, you don't want to stick around until after 10? Okay, we do have a follow-on uh, meeting of the Astoria Development Commission. Uh, this concludes the city council meeting. And we'll now convene the uh, March 4, 2019 meeting of the uh, Asteroid Development Commission. Uh, roll call. Uh, here. 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 Reports of the commissioners. Any reports? Okay, changes to the agenda. Are there any changes? Okay, and consent calendar, items on the consent calendar are considered routine, will be adopted by one motion, unless a member of the ADC requests to have an item considered separately. Uh, have any uh, items been requested to be removed? No removals have been requested. Okay. Second. Second. Okay, so uh, All in favor? Aye. Uh, roll call. Roll call, Ms. Ferguson. Aye. Aye. Okay, any new business? Any public comments for the ADC? This concludes the meeting of the ADC. I've never attended one of those before. <laughs>